The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Amen. We are free to obey Christ. Do you realize that? You were enslaved to sin. You were dead in sin. And he has freed you through his work on the cross. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John 14. Yes, we're still in John 14. We can take our time. This is such a glorious part of God's word, the gospel of John. We're going to focus on verses 13 and 14. Maybe a a passage of scripture, again, like last week, a passage of scripture that you may wonder, what, what is Jesus promising here? This doesn't seem to fit with my experience. So... John 14, verses 13 and 14. Jesus, remember the context. He's with his disciples. He's told them that he's going to be leaving and they can't follow him. And he is strengthening them. He's assuring them. He's giving them promises. And here's one precious promise to them and to us. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name... This I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to where we have been invited into your presence, to where we've enjoyed the presence of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit in this time of communion, being strengthened by you, having this um, special presence of Christ with us, the opportunity to express your worth in song. And now uh, we ask your blessing over your word and the preaching of your word. Would you open our eyes to truths that will impact the way we live and desire to glorify you? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, St. Louis Cardinal pitcher, we're on a baseball theme this morning a little bit. St. Louis Cardinal pitcher Andy Bennis He was not having a good 2001 season. It ended with a sore knee and a bad game, and then the beginning of the 2002 season wasn't much better, resulting in hints from the team that maybe it's time to think about retirement, Andy. But instead, Andy accepted a demotion to the minor leagues, hoping to regain his form. A Christian, Andy and his wife began praying that the Lord would enable him to pitch well enough to remain in St. Louis and retire with his reputation intact. One day in the minor leagues, Bennis toyed with throwing a split-fingered fastball, a very effective pitch that few could master. And amazingly, instead of the months or even years To master this pitch, Andy seemed to pick it up immediately, throwing it that night and retiring batters. 
with a few weeks, he was back up in the major leagues. And with his new pitch, he contributed to a division championship and then retired at the top of his game. A nice story, huh? Believing that God... Actually, I'm sorry, let me go on. The story's not over. Believing that God had answered his and his wife's prayer, Bennis commented just six months later. He said, that pitch was like a gift God dropped from heaven. If I had to throw a split-finger fastball today, I'm not sure I would know how to do it. Huh. Again, a nice story. Hearing of a brother in Christ who wants to end well for the sake of a good reputation... But then when we hear these words of Jesus, we might wonder, is this the kind of request that Jesus had in mind when he said, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do? I think it can be. Yeah. Yes, no. I think it can be. Prayer is an amazing gift, one that we tend to take for granted. And there are a couple of details in what Jesus said that will help us to rightly understand his promise concerning prayer. Once again, let's remember, Jesus is preparing, he's strengthening his disciples for his upcoming departure. And in this chapter, he gives three great promises. Promises, promising them because we believe in him, promises that apply to us as well. A promise of heaven and his coming again. A promise that will carry on his work, doing greater spiritual works through the indwelling Holy Spirit. And now this promise concerning prayer. And this is not merely a, um, a promise about requests. Prayer involves requests. But it's also, it's an assurance that even after his death, resurrection, and ascension, to heaven, they'll still be able to talk with him. They'll be able to have an ongoing communion with him through prayer. Prayer is the answer to their greatest concern, the concern that Jesus is leaving and they can't follow him. But even with the answer of prayer, they and we... We might wonder, how can we have a personal relationship with someone who is not physically with us? Let me ask you a question. When you pray, do you typically have the Father in mind? We often think of praying, and I think this is biblical, you know, with a Trinitarian biblical view of God, we often Pray to the Father because of the work of Jesus that enables us to come to the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus taught also, he he taught his disciples to pray, he gave a pattern. And how does that pattern begin? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And because of this, some might wonder, is it even appropriate for me to address My prayers to Jesus? Well, 
Doesn't Jesus say in verse 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it? In essence, Jesus is reassuring his disciples with the truth that you can still talk with me. You can still have a relationship with me, commune with me through prayer. And the implication to us is that this is the same Jesus who walked the face of the earth and heard the questions and concerns of his disciples, and he also hears us. He hears us when we come to him in prayer. Yes, we can pray to Jesus. We can commune with him. We can hear his voice in his word. We can make requests of him. He's a real person after all. He's alive. He's with us through the Holy Spirit. A.W. Pink wrote, True, he would be in heaven and they on earth, but prayer could remove all sense of distance. Prayer could bring them into his very presence at any time. And when we keep in mind those great works that we're to be doing, prayer is essential. Just as a personal relationship with Jesus is essential to salvation, so prayer is essential to living the Christian life, one of faith as one of his disciples. What a great gift. What a privilege it is to pray. And yet some may think of it as an option or maybe even a a duty. Prayer is essential to the life of a Christian, but instead we might think that we have to. Parents, did you ever ask your kids to do something and they're like, oh, do we have to? And then you respond, no, you don't have to. You get to. (laughs) We get to. We get to spend time with Jesus. One author tells the story of a Chinese pastor who was placed in a labor camp for his faith. Here's what he wrote. His captors denied him a Bible and punished him when he prayed or sang. Out of malice, they made him clean the camp latrine. Every day, the pastor would take the excrement out and scatter it as fertilizer over the fields. The smell was so foul that the guards would withdraw and give him plenty of space, enabling him to sing and to pray to the Lord. And for this reason, he came to love And even thank God for this because of the communion that he could openly enjoy with the Lord Jesus. Now that is prioritizing and rightly understanding how precious it is to spend time with Jesus. We should schedule a time. We should make a priority of prayer. But the good news is we can continually talk to Jesus communing with him throughout the day, wherever we are. So spend time with Jesus. And he promises that whatever you ask in his name, he will do it. And yet, when we hear this promise, we may think, really? A lot of the answers to my prayers have been no. 
He doesn't always do what I ask. Now, in retrospect, we see that, yes, there are those foolish requests that we are actually thankful that he didn't say yes to. But some of our prayers could have been very glorifying to God. And yet, they came with a heartbreaking no. So what does Jesus mean? Another mistake that we know is that Jesus, he's not like a genie in a bottle promising to grant us whatever we wish. And maybe that's the key phrase, whatever we wish. Jesus doesn't say, ask whatever you wish and I'll grant you your heart's desire. No, he says, whatever you ask in my name and so that the Father may be glorified. These requests I will do, I promise to do. Jesus' priority for us, it is to work all things for our good. And our good is to live according to his will for the glory of God. Our spiritual well-being is a greater priority than our physical well-being. And this isn't to say that the physical cares of this life are unimportant. No, he cares for our physical needs. But in doing so, he's working to grow our faith. So it's not wrong to ask for physical healing or financial help. The Lord tells us to cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for us. The book of James instructs us to pray for physical healing. And yet, sometimes God's answer, like his answer to the apostle Paul, is my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Sometimes the answer is, No, I've got something better for you. And the way for you to have it is to deny your request. Or maybe the answer is, wait. Wait in my perfect time. And as you wait, you're blessed with a growing trust and a humility and a love and a dependence upon God. But in thinking about the good reason for the for the no answers, let's not lose sight of God's grace and his abundant generosity, his limitless power. There's a story of Alexander the Great being approached by a man who pleaded for his need of a large sum of money. Alexander immediately sent the man to his treasury telling him to request whatever he needed. Later, the treasurer appeared, giving the horrifying report that the man had taken an enormous amount of money. And Alexander, he confirmed that he had authorized this, explaining, he has asked me as a king, and I have given to him as a king. Don't you love that answer? He has asked me as a king, I have given to him as a king. How much more is this true of our king, the one who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, 
according to the power at work within us. His grace, his resources and generosity and ability to give us, it's beyond measure. John Newton encouraged, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. So we know that God's resources, his sovereign power and gracious generosity is unlimited toward his loved ones. And with this in mind, we can never ask too much. But then why are some of our requests not granted? Jesus doesn't, he, he, Jesus does give conditions. He does give conditions in this promise. He does say that whatever we ask in his name. And this doesn't mean that we simply end our prayer using the magic words, in Jesus' name, amen. That doesn't make it happen by tacking it on. Yes, it's a good way to pray, but what do we really mean when we say, in Jesus' name? One thing we should have in mind is that it's only because of Jesus that we're able to come to God and have a relationship with him to where we can speak to him in prayer. R.A. Torrey tells about a time when he spoke at a conference, and before he went up to speak, he received a note. And that note said, I've been a member of the Presbyterian Church for 30 years, and have tried to be a consistent one all the time. I have been a, the superintendent of the Sunday school for 25 years, and an elder in the church for 20 years, and yet God does not answer my prayer, and I cannot understand it. And Tori actually read that note from the pulpit, and I'm just thinking... <laughs> People, okay, 30 years, 25 is super, that's Joe. (laughs) So he actually read this from the pulpit saying there is a simple explanation. And here's the explanation that he gave. This man thinks that because he has been a consistent church member for 30 years, a faithful Sunday school superintendent for 25 years, and an elder of the church for 20 years, that God is under obligation to answer his prayer. He is really praying in his own name, and God will not hear our prayers when we approach him in that way. We must, if we would have God answer our prayers, give up any thought that we have claims upon God. There is not one of us who deserves anything from God. If we got what we deserved, every one of us would spend eternity in hell. But Jesus Christ has great claims on God. And we should go to God in our prayers, not on the grounds of any goodness in ourselves, but on the ground of Jesus Christ's claims. Wow. So praying in Jesus' name means that we pray on the basis of his claims on God, his righteousness, his perfection. In Hebrews 4, we read, Since then we have a great high priest who has 
passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Praying in Jesus' name means that we recognize it's only because of Jesus that we're able to come to God's throne in prayer. Also, the name of Christ has to do with who he is, who he has revealed himself to be in Scripture, his character, his, his expressed will for us. Praying in Jesus' name seeks his endorsement concerning our requests, a request that is consistent with his nature, with his purposes. And with this in mind, we should, we should never ex- expect prayers that are selfish or foolish or worldly-minded or self-glorifying, and especially those that are sinful. We should never expect these to be granted by our Lord. He's too good for that. This should be obvious to us. And what should also be obvious is that prayers that are clearly according to the revealed will of God will be answered. Let's think about the will of God. Who you marry, where you live, what occupation you should have, these kinds of things, you know, they're not found in God's Word. Yes, God is sovereign. He has a plan. He knows all of those things. But some of his will is hidden from us. And it's, it's not revealed to us. And he tells us this in Deuteronomy 29. He says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. Like who you should marry or what job you should have or where you should live. That belongs, that's the hidden will of God. That's the secret things of the, of the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed, they belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. God's word reveals his will for us. But here are some, here's something that God's word does tell us. Here's the revealed will of God. Here's something we should request with, with absolute confidence. It is his will for us to be sanctified, for us to grow in holiness. It's clearly God's will for us to love one another, to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Are you praying for love, joy, peace, yes, patience, kindness, and goodness? Are we praying that we'll be faithful and gentle and have self-control? This is the revealed will of God for us. This is consistent with the character and desire of Jesus. And so these are prayers that are clearly in the name of Jesus. We may want to be zapped and never struggle with sin, but God is sovereign over the timing. The wisdom of that timing, our perseverance in the faith, what is being accomplished during that, our humble reliance upon him. And so these kinds of things ought to be, they ought to be regular prayers where we know that 
Jesus will answer in his perfect time. And speaking of the fruit of the Spirit, can I ask something of you? People often make this joke, but let's stop joking about never praying for patience. Really. Let's, I'm serious. Let's stop joking about that. Expecting then that God will give us difficult circumstances to test and develop our patience. Yes, he may. But what is it that we value? A life of ease or conformity to the image of Christ? No, let's pray for patience and things that really matter. Things that will equip us to be godly parents or godly children, spouses, friends, witnesses for Jesus. And back to that baseball pitcher, Andy Bennis, who desired a good reputation to finish well so that he might have a long-term witness in his city. God is sovereign over the circumstances. He knows best how to use us for his glory. He chose to answer Andy's prayer With a split-fingered fastball, praise God. Unless you're a Giants fan. What's the end goal or desire in your prayer? Lord, bless my career. That can be a prayer in Jesus' name when there's a godly end in mind. To be a witness, to be a blessing to others, to glorify God through your generosity to his church and others. It's a godly attitude to desire to care for your family and to give to your church. And so prayers for financial help or good health can certainly be in the name of Jesus. But it's for the glory, if it's for the glory of our success, if it's self-serving, riches, then why would God give what he tells us not to seek after. He wants us to treasure eternal things and to use the gifts of today for the sake of his glory and kingdom. So the best way to be confident in our prayers is to pray for the things that the Bible tells us to seek. Pray for the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Pray for the power to resist temptation. Pray for people's salvation. Pray for opportunities to be a witness, to share the gospel with someone. And yes, pray for those practical needs. When we pray for things that are taught in Scripture, we should, we should have an expectation that the Lord's answer will be according to his wisdom and his timing. And if we really want to know the power of Christ in answering our prayers then let's pray with a greater focus on the gospel and its work in our lives. So really, Jesus gives us two conditions in these verses, in his promise to give what what, uh, we ask of him. One is that we ask in his name or what represents him and is according to his will. And the second condition is that the goal of our prayer is the glory of God. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. We exist for the glory of God, and Jesus' earthly ministry, his work, and the culmination 
of his work at the cross was for the glory of God. The cross was not a horror that he avoided, but a sacrifice that he embraced. And because of this, we hear the very prayer of Jesus on the night of his arrest. His chief aim, his goal, was to glorify God. Father, the hour has come, Jesus prayed. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Concerning this, James Boyce commented, that this is a new thought for many people, for we are so filled with the idea that prayer is getting something from God, that we rarely consider that prayer is actually a means by which God gets something from us. What he wants from us is glory, a glory that will lead others to trust him. Jesus was committed to the glory of God. This is how he prayed. This is the goal that he gives to us and we, as we come to him in prayer. I love that we can read the very prayer of Jesus in the garden as he, as he anticipates the cross. I love this prayer because it, it shows, I mean, we can relate to some, it shows his humanity. He's troubled. And of course, he dreaded the cross. It's not wrong. What, what does this tell us? It tells us it's not wrong for us to pray, Lord, please remove this cup of suffering. Please help me. Please heal. It's not wrong because this is what Jesus prayed. We cast our anxieties on God. We tell him our heart But the greatest comfort of all is knowing that God is sovereign. And his will is perfect. And he withholds no good thing from those who love him. He's working all things for the greatest good. And certainly the greatest good was for Jesus to be glorified as a loving sacrifice on the cross. And to do so in humble obedience, reliance upon the Father for the sake of his glory. I don't know about you, I tend to use that as a pattern for my prayers when I'm asking. Asking what I desire. He wants, don't hold back. Talk to the Lord. Tell them what's on your heart. And in the midst of it, if you realize it's sinful, confess that sin. But tell them what's on you. Ask what you desire. And yet, submit to the fact that God's will is best. So when I pray this way, I trust. And my thinking is, you know, I trust him way more than I trust me. My knowledge, my wisdom is so limited. What I ask may be, it may be very good. It may fit with the character and the will of Christ. I may desire the glory of God in it. But I submit to the fact that I don't know the best way for his will. I don't know the best way for him to be glorified. I trust God much more than I trust me. And so... 
I believe a good practice in prayer is that we make our request, that we don't shy away from coming to the Lord in prayer, but that we humbly recognize our limitations and that he knows what's best. And so we conclude, as Jesus concluded, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. If Jesus would humbly submit to the will of the Father, how much more should we? How arrogant, how foolish is the name it and think of it, the name it and claim it philosophy of prayer. How arrogant, how foolish. Do do I really want to have that supposed kind of power? Do I know what's best? Do I trust my desires more than God's wisdom? There's a, there was a time, you know, th- there was a time in my life when I really struggled with prayer. I thought, if prayer has the power to change the mind of God, then I'd be a fool to ask anything of him because the last thing I want is to override his perfect knowledge and wisdom and all the related details that he, he knows what to do. He knows eternally best. So if this is how prayer works, I don't want to pray. I'd be a fool to pray. And if the other option is that prayer doesn't have any impact on my circumstances, then why bother? And yes, I know that some would say prayer is about the relationship and changing me. And yes, that's true. But prayer is also clearly requests that God graciously answers that involve the circumstances of life. It's that too. So for a time, I was stuck. I was paralyzed in my prayer life. And then I realized that God ordains, he is sovereign, he ordains not only the end, but the means to that end. I realize that he has graciously involved us in his work. Not because he can't do it without us, but because he's so good. What a grace, what a joy to be an instrument in the hand of God, to be a means in his eternally significant work. God alone has the power to change a person's heart and save them. He doesn't need us, but he's chosen to use our feeble words as we witness to a friend. Our words, our sharing is a way in which God works to do the spiritual miracle of causing someone to be born again. And prayer is also a means whereby God takes our requests and if they align with his sovereign will, he uses them as the tool to bring about the end that he ordained that he desires. So if we want the joy, really, that's what it comes down to. If we want the joy of being a part of the process of God's work, something God didn't have to do, but graciously involves us in, then pray. Pray and trust him to do what's best. And the greatest example in my life is praying for the life of my daughter, Lindsay as she faced open-heart surgery when she was four months old. And of course, Jenna and I wish she were here, that she didn't die after surgery. 
And in the moment, we had no idea what God was doing. It made no sense to us. It seemed to be, God, you, you, you've been glorified in this whole process. You know, it seemed to fit with everything. But over the years, and certainly now, we can see the perfect wisdom of God. And how this no was used for a greater good. Greater good in our lives, in Devin and Brenna's lives, as a witness for his glory, and hopefully for the good of others, that they may trust God in all things. Jesus is good. Come to him in prayer. Ask in his name according to his will, with God's glory as your highest aim, and you'll find he will answer and give you what is best, way better, way better than you can ever imagine. Let's pray. Father, we come to you with thankful hearts, knowing that it's only because of Jesus that we can enter into your presence in prayer. Thank you for the gift of salvation, for this gift of having a personal relationship with you, a relationship where you invite our prayers, where you hear us and care for us, doing what is best in our lives. We submit to the truth that what is best in our lives is your will. Your will, which is our sanctification. It's being conformed to the image of Jesus for the sake of your glory. So grow our faith. Help us to trust you, that you will always do what is best, what is good, even, Lord, even and especially when we don't see it in the moment, when we don't understand. Assure us with your goodness and perfection. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We thank you for this great promise and encouragement to come to you in prayer. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit, who is our advocate, the one who strengthens us for your work, the one who enables us to be in relationship with you, to commune with you, to ask what is right and pleasing to you. Dear God, we praise you as the one true God revealed to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. Strengthen our faith in you. Sanctify us through your word that we may love one another, that we may bear the fruit of your spirit for the sake of your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.